In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. All four Gospels have all sorts of different stories that we find. That They all took oral traditions and converted them into the story that they wanted to present to, to the public. As you well know, and Luke, Luke's the only one that has a birth narrative. That's why we read it every Christmas Eve. Matthew has a huge genealogy leading up to the very beginning of Matthew's Gospel. Mark just goes into the adult ministry of Jesus. John doesn't have anything about a birth narrative there. As you all know, Matthew has a Sermon on the Mount. Luke has a Sermon on the Plain. Sort of the same material, but in different places. John is the only one that has the raising of Lazarus story. Mark is the only one that has the line, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath, which I think is one of the more powerful statements in all of the biblical narratives. So you can find that all of them have different ways of presenting who Jesus was and the, and the life cycle of Jesus. But what's true about all of the Gospels is this. Every one of them, every one of them has the story of the feeding of the 5,000. Every one of them included that particular story, which makes you think, at least it makes me think, that it was an important story for the early church. And they all wanted to keep the narrative in some form or another because it was so important to that new community that becomes the church. All of them have the feeding of the 5,000 in some form or another. We're in Matthew's Gospel. In Matthew's Gospel, we, the reading for today begins about halfway through the 14th chapter of Matthew's Gospel. What's happened immediately before this is that Jesus has learned that his cousin, John the Baptist, has been beheaded. Uh, Salome wanted his head on a platter. Herod obliged. He's been, he's been beheaded. Now, I don't know if you've ever lost a cousin or someone that's that close to you. John the Baptist was very close to Jesus. He was the prophet, number one, that announced the coming of the Messiah. And number two, he was his cousin. I don't know if we've ever lost a cousin. I've lost a cousin in 1986. I want to tell you, you know, it was one of the hardest experiences of my life. He and I were as close as brothers. We spoke to each other every day. And it took me a long time to recuperate. And I needed to be by myself a lot of the time just to be able to come to grips with the death of the person that it was so important and so dear in my life. So you can imagine what's happening with Jesus here, can't you? His cousin has died. He is hurting. He wants to retreat. He wants to be by himself. Now, parenthetically speaking, this isn't the point of the sermon today, but I think it's important to notice that when he needs it, he goes to be by himself. There are two words that describe the same experience in our lives, being by ourselves, being alone. One of them is loneliness, which in a, in a sense describes the pain of being alone. The second one is solitude, same action but it talks, it describes the glory of being alone. There's a huge difference between the two about loneliness and solitude. And all of us need some solitude. All of us need to come and have a conversation with ourselves. All of us need to be by ourselves to be able to have a conversation with God. Every time that we have a premarital a couple that comes for to be married here at St. John's Church, and I'm the officiant, I uh, spend some time with them about all sorts of things, but one of them that I'm asking them more and more these days is, what do you do with those tablets that we all own? What do you do with, what's the role of those things in your life? Do you always carry them around? Do you always have them on? Do you always pay attention to them? Do you always let them interrupt you? And I say that because all of us need some time for solitude. 
You don't want to have the, front, the, uh, the, the light on the front porch of your house burning when there's no one's home. And I want to tell you, I think that's what happens if you don't spend any time by yourself. We are born alone, we die alone, and it seems to me that somewhere along the line, we ought to spend some time alone in solitude, the glory of being alone. And that's what Jesus has to do. And so he goes off to a deserted place, he takes a boat to get there, but the crowd won't let him be by himself. I hope you're experiencing instant sympathy for Jesus. For all of us who are always who get interrupted whenever it is that we want to be by ourselves. Instant sympathy. Because sure enough, the crowds are there. He gathers the crowd. And then from Matthew's perspective, at least I'm reading into it, it seems to me that Jesus must have preached a very long sermon. Jesus could not possibly have been an Episcopalian. <laughs> because it goes from the morning all the way until dusk. William Sloan Coffin, I, used to, I took some preaching classes from William Sloan Coffin when he was over at the Riverside Church, and William Sloan Coffin said that nobody was ever saved after 13 minutes of preaching, that nobody ever got converted after 13 minutes of preaching. And of course, I said to him, well, how about Jonathan Edwards? What do you think happened with Jonathan Edwards? And furthermore, with all of my African-American friends who are preachers, let me tell you, they don't buy the 13-minute thing. But anyway, Jesus goes on for a long time, a very long sermon. And by then, dusk arrives, and the disciples are worried what's going to happen with this crowd. What are we going to do with them? You know that Aretha Franklin song that goes, Respect, R-E-S-P-E-C-T, important word for the disciples that day. The important word was D-I-S-B-A-N-D, disband. That's what matters to me. We've got to get rid of these people. We've got to get them to go out of here. We need to go find something to eat. What's interesting about the story is that the crowd never says, we're hungry. Pay attention to it. The crowd never says, I'm hungry. Nobody says, I'm hungry. We're hungry. Well, we find that the disciples want them to disband. And the disciples say to Jesus, you know, send them out of here. Let them go. Send them away. Send them to that town nearby so they can go to the grocery store and buy their own food. And then Jesus says to them, I'm not going to send them away. And he says to them, you do something about it. You feed them. I don't know what you do with miracle stories. I always have a hard time with the miracle stories. I suspect that all of us have a hard time with the miracle stories. In John's Gospel, one of the things I appreciate about John's Gospel is this, that John's Gospel, when he talks about miracles, he's talking about the word that he uses for miracles are signs, pointing to something greater than itself. And I've always thought that miracles were that, signs pointing to something greater than themselves, pointing to something beyond themselves, to be understood in that manner. I don't think our signs are a basis for faith. I, think, I, I don't think that miracles are a basis for faith. I think miracles are an expression of faith, and I think the evangelists are expressing their faith. Now, do you think miracles happen? Do you ever think miracles happen? I, I th I've experienced miracles. I have to admit it. There's a member of our congregation who one night was dying, literally dying, and she said, Lord, I'm ready to go. Closed her eyes, and she said, I am ready to die and expected to die immediately. The next morning, she woke up. The doctors couldn't explain it. The doctors couldn't explain what happened to the cancer. She's still alive. This happened about 10 years ago. Now, I don't know how to explain that. 
I just have to accept it, that it's a miracle. I have to tell you this, I've seen other miracles. When I was at Trinity Church in Wilmington, we had a recovery ministry there, and I want to tell you, I saw Jesus, I saw Jesus turn beer into furniture. And I want to tell you, that's a miracle. When I was 13 years old, uh, I came to the United States, didn't have a place to stay. So one family took me in, Ray and Mary Miller, who had three of their own kids. And so they took me in, and I lived with them until, uh, until I became an adult. So finally, after becoming an adult, I finally the inquisitive part of me went to them, and I said, Ray, Mary, what made you do that? It has to be the strangest thing in life to take a child whom you don't know, a teenager, to boot a boy teenager into your house when you have your three own children. And she said, well, you know, we saw an announcement in the bulletin that said there was this 13-year-old boy, Cuban boy, that needed a place to stay. And so I said to my husband, you know, we have the sewing room. We can put in there and we'll have enough room for him. Now, I don't know how you, uh, whether that's a miracle or not. It was a miracle to me. It's miracle enough for me because they saved my life. So miracles, I think, happen. And I think miracles continue to happen if you keep your eyes wide open. This particular story, you ask yourself the question, how did it happen? Did they bless the bread, bless the fish, and then they started to pass it around, and when somebody took a chunk of bread, the bread got bigger? Did they take a slice off the fish, and all of a sudden it got put back in place again? I don't know. Barbara Brown Taylor has a wonderful story that she tells about this particular story, and she talks about the fact that maybe what happened is that when people, when Jesus saw uh, the crowd and said, here, we have enough here, uh, five loaves, two fish, we're going to feed everybody, that the people there started going, oh, this is not a good idea. This is not going to work. This doesn't make any sense at all. And they were embarrassed for their leader. They were embarrassed for Jesus. And so when the fish and the bread start coming around, she suggests that maybe what happened is that everybody who carried a, satch a bag with some sort of food in it, whether it was a piece of bread or a piece of ham or a piece of this or a piece of that, would have taken it and put their hands into the basket, not taken anything out, but feeling so badly about what was going to happen to the rest of the crowd, they put what they had in their bag into the basket so that by the end of it, there were 12 basketfuls of food. I said this at the 745 service, and one person came afterwards and said to me, that doesn't sound like a miracle to me. And I responded, that doesn't sound like a miracle to you? The people who are thinking about scarcity all of a sudden are thinking about abundance? Who people who think that there's not enough time in the world, that there's not enough money in the world, that there's not enough food in the world, that there's not enough space in the world, all of a sudden realize that there is enough time that there's enough space, that there's enough love, that there's enough grace, that there's enough money in this world for anything we want to do, if we're willing, if we're willing to do what Jesus tells you, you go and do something about it. If that's not a miracle, I don't know what a miracle is. People who think scarcity all of a sudden think abundance. And then think in abundance. The miracle, the miracle of God's abundance becomes evident to everybody else in that place. Miracles are tough stories, I acknowledge. I always have a hard time with them, but I want to tell you from my perspective, 
the greatest miracle of all is moving from scarcity to abundance, from the scarcity of not enough of anything to the abundance that there's plenty of everything for everybody in this whole world. So maybe Jesus is telling all of us, you want a miracle? Be a part of it. You start it in your own church. You change things the way you want to see them. You talk about the abundance of God. You present the abundance of God. You practice the abundance of God that then maybe the whole world will know that it's not scarcity with which we live. We live an abundant life. The abundant life given to us in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.